0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield.
1: Through the course of Liverpool's history, you can read the likes of Inter Milan, St Etienne Olympiacos, Barcelona. Anfield's rich European history has been built off nights against such the like and just four years ago Borussia Dortmund were added to that list in a quarter final second leg at Anfield the Reds came back from trailing 2-0 to win 4-3 at Anfield with Dejan Lovren heading in a stoppage time winner in front of the Cup. Here on the Blood Red Channel we're going to rewind the clock just 4 years to go back to that game. I'm Guy Clark and joining me to look back on the win over Borussia Dortmund. Dan K, Dan how are you mate? Uh not too bad thanks
0: guy. Um you know getting through these unusual times as best I can like everybody else but always happy to look back and reminisce about uh,
1: these mighty Reds of ours. And Matt Addison also with us Matt how are you keeping?
2: Yeah, very good. Thank you. I just can't believe it's been four years since uh, Borussia Dortmund the 4-3 game. It's it's just flown past, hasn't it?
1: We obviously, during this period of time, have, have a lot of time on our hands to look back on these days and everything. And I suppose with what happened against Barcelona last year and the way in which Jurgen Klopp's now catapulted Liverpool, not just back into the Champions League, but right at the elite of European and world football, that this is a kind of game that unless it's for the, the real purists and the real sort of diehards, can, can sort of get overlooked. I might be wrong in saying that, Dan, but this is one of the real early Jurgen Klopp memories, I suppose.
0: Well, very much so. It was his first season in charge, of course. He only took, he only took over in the October. And it was one of those fates of football that um, Liverpool, having in the previous round, knocked out Manchester United in um, the club's first ever European meeting, which is incredible, really, when you think how close to suicide came to meeting a number of times in the Champions League the previous season before, it felt like the, you know, um, it was written in the stars that Liverpool should come up against Dortmund. Possibly the fact that it was in you know, the, the Europa League, you know, the secondary competition, might mean for some it's kind of like in the second bracket, really, of, of top nights. But you know, for me personally, and as I'll, as I'll go on to explain, <coughs> even in spite of the incredible nights we've, we've all enjoyed since then, for, as far as I'm concerned, that night against Borussia Dortmund is in the very, very top echelon of, of Liverpool memories and one that I'll be looking back on when I'm old and grey, or older and greyer, as we should say.
1: <laughs> and I suppose, Matt, it's one of those games you can really look back on and say the launching pad for Anfield and the love affair with Jurgen Klopp, and certainly Jurgen Klopp's love affair with Anfield.
2: Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think uh, there'd been that sort of two all draw with West Brom where he sort of brought all the players together and, and, you know, sort of infamously, if you like, got got a bit of stick for, for doing that and, and sort of making a, a big deal of, of the fans sticking behind the team and that sort of thing. And I think this was the first sort of occasion when people looked at that and thought, actually, maybe he was onto something here. Maybe mm-hmm. this was, you know, maybe it wasn't quite so crazy to do that. And You know, you, you talk about all of the other European nights that have come after that. I think it was just, you know, it's such a huge stepping stone. I don't think the other European nights come if if this one doesn't happen first. I think, you know, it is definitely a progression and, and who knows, we could be sat here in a very different situation today had these stepping stones that, that Jurgen Klopp put in not took place. And you know, thank goodness he did because we've had some fantastic Anfield nights ever since.
1: And obviously then the pretext to this, as Dan's already said, round of 16, senior off Manchester United. quarter final draw comes out. Klopp against his former side, obviously Borussia Dortmund, over a year, of course, since he'd uh, moved on from his time in, in Germany. Well, not actually quite a year, was it, by this stage? And first leg, 1-1. One, one, Divock Origi scores in that early on. It's cancelled out. And the, the two sides play out a one-all draw. I suppose coming back to Anfield, Dan, if there was one man who was going to topple Borussia Dortmund, you would feel confident it was the man who had assembled that side?
0: Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, he'd only left his position at Dortmund at the end of the previous season. Um, and I think after that first leg... I would, you know, I think most supporters were really quite happy with a one-one draw. We got the away goal. Obviously, there was very much an awareness that, you know, there was still a tie to win at Anfield. But I think generally in any two-legged encounter, if all you have to do is is win on your own ground and you've already got an away goal in the bank, I think most people would 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 quite happily plump for that. So I think going into the game, Liverpool had, had a little bit of an up and down uh, league season. Um, which obviously we ended up getting to two cup finals because Liverpool were, of course, beaten by Manchester City in the league cup final. and I think ended up finishing seventh or eighth in, in, in the league. But I think there was very much an acceptance that obviously it was very much a period of transition. Klopp hadn't even had the benefit of the pre-season because he only uh, came into the job in early October when Brendan Rodgers was sacked after the Goodison derby. So I think there was an acceptance that he had a lot on his plate, a lot to kind of sort through and try to fix but the fact that we were getting results had already got to one cup final. And we're very unlucky to lose to, 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 to City at, uh, at Wembley on penalties that day, bearing in mind you know, it was City were a far superior side to Liverpool. I think even at that early stage of Klopp's reign, there was a clear sign that he, he could coach and, and tactically set up a team, even if it was man for man inferior to its opponents, to get a result. So, yeah, going into the match, I think um, there was a lot of excitement. Uh, I'm very much a feeling that Liverpool could be um, possibly heading for their second cup final of the season.
1: And looking at the two respective sides, Matt, for recipes for an Anfield European classic, you do have to have one side that on the team sheet probably in balance looks more favourable to the away side for Liverpool to then come back and really show what they're made of just looking through a few names in the the Dortmund side of course they'd reached the Champions League final just three years previous yes they'd lost the likes of Goetzer and Lewandowski before then but they had the likes of Piszczek they had Hummels Schmelzer, who'd been part of that Champions League side also there and then the forward lineup for the Mikatarian Kagawa, Royce and Aubameyang, this was a side really at their pomp of, I suppose, being the hipster's favourites in terms of European football. They were a side that everybody lauded, Dortmund.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, as you say, most of the, the side that Jurgen Klopp had put together so successfully and, I mean, I looked it up before, actually, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang obviously has done fantastically well for for Arsenal in the Premier League. But, I mean, that season he'd scored 37 in 44 at that stage, which is, you know, a quite remarkable record for for any striker. So, I mean, we don't sort of think of him as being absolutely at at the peak of his powers right at this moment in time. But certainly, you know, at that moment they had Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang, Royce, all at the absolute peak of their powers. And, yeah, as you say, for for Liverpool, you know, in, in contrast to that, it was a very different team. And, you know, Dortmund... Certainly on paper would have been the better team, which just makes that comeback even better. I mean, you only have to, to look at, you know, some of the names on the, the Liverpool bench. Martin Skirtle, Brad Smith, Lucas was on there. You know, there weren't they weren't game-changing players on there. I know Daniel Sturridge came off the bench, of course. But, you know, generally speaking, you know, you look at that Liverpool team and it's almost hard to believe that in a, in the space of four years they've gone from having, you know, Shea Ojo and and Brad Smith on the bench to to what we've got now. So it it does sort of put into context really just how big a comeback that was and, and how much of an impressive feat it was as well.
1: Yeah, and even looking at the Dortmund bench, Bender, Gundogan, Sahin and, and Pulisic also there for Thomas Tuchel's side that night. And I suppose going into the game, Dan, being at Anfield that night, even from the buses arriving, something that's now become so synonymous and an event, I suppose, also within itself. You'll never walk alone, spine tingling as the sides came out. Anfield was ready to play its part on this night.
0: It very much was. And, you know, it's, you know we have to mention, you know, the. The calendar context of the match as well, it was the 14th of April, so it was the, the day before the, the Hillsborough anniversary of what would have been the 27th year. It's also worth mentioning as well that this match actually fell in between the 20-day period between the the jury and the Hillsborough inquest in Warrington going out and then returning their verdict of unlawful killing on the, on the 26th of April, uh, which, which was 12 days later. Um, as is often the case, the club advi- had invited a number of, of family members to be at the match. So it had a, an extra poignancy um, and an extra kind of like emotional intensity. Obviously, Dortmund themselves are well renowned for for belting out "You know, Never Walk Alone" good style before matches themselves. So it really was one of the all time great versions of it. With you know, I think it's fair to say pretty much every single person in the ground singing their heart out in advance of what we all hoped and expected would be uh, quite an uh, an uproaring football match. But I don't think any of us had any idea to what extent it, that would actually
1: that's to be no, and certainly not after the opening 10 minutes well, nine minutes in fact, in which Dortmund roared into a two goal lead. Mikatarian and Abamiang, the two guys on the score sheet, has to be said though. Despite the two goals, Simon Mignolet had already pulled off a brilliant save to deny Aubameyang with Mkhitaryan following in a rebound. And then Aubameyang's goal for himself was right in the top corner. The postage stampers, a lot of people say, Matt, it was, it was one of those where you're watching it mouth opened wide thinking, well, this isn't how it was meant to play out.
2: No, I mean, in terms of the, the quality of the finish, certainly for the second one, it was it was a superb goal from Aubameyang. I mean, looking back at it and, and watching the highlights this morning, I mean, you you look at the defensive line, Mabadou Saka was all over the place. The the defensive sort of play from Liverpool was, was awful and, and that's what really pushed them into that corner and, and they had to fight back because of that. Mignolet, Klein, Lovren, Sacco and Moreno. I mean, those those sorts of names don't fill you with massive confidence defensively, and, and that's how it played out on the night. But you know, you can sort of look back and smile about it now because, look, as as Dan said, it was you know an amazing game of football. The, the circumstances, the, the sort of atmosphere around it, the fact that it was Jürgen Klopp's former team, and it was the first time that you know he'd. Faced them at Anfield, and you know, the way that the game panned out, it was, I'm sure, a fantastic spectacle for neutrals. And thankfully for, for us, it, it was a, a Liverpool win at the end of it as well. And I suppose looking at
1: even the setup in a bit more detail, we did one of these Liverpool classic modern games recently, talking about the Manchester City uh, tie in the, the Champions League just a, a couple of years back. And we said that that night was probably the breakout moment for the Liverpool. We see now under Jurgen Klopp the control that they're able to put into games, attacking down the wings. This was very much what became before that—that that rock and roll football, the case of, or heavy metal football. Sorry, should I say where Liverpool really best form of defence was attack?
0: Well, it was, and we'd already seen a, you know, a number of games in this season that kind of like alluded to the fact that um, <clears throat> it was always going to take Jurgen Klopp time to kind of really instil his principles and the way he would want a team to be set up. But the same kind of passion and verve he instills into his players, which we still see now, I think was probably the first characteristic of that. Matt mentioned the West Brom game uh, in mid-December when I think we saw that kind of never give up, never say die attitude, which obviously will always be characterised with this night, and obviously particularly the Barcelona semi-final. There was that mad game in the league at Norwich, uh, I think late January, early February, when Liverpool found themselves 3-1 down, but managed to win 5-4. In, in extra time, so when those first couple of Dor- well, certainly when the first Dortmund goal went in, obviously you're a bit shocked, and it's like, well, there's yeah, our our away goal advantage wiped out in five minutes. But there was still a feeling, well, you know, we know this team has got to slip the capacities to, you know, to come from behind. When Abamyang raced through at the kop end and, and rifled that right into the top corner, the way he did, and then performed his you know his trademark somersault with not even ten minutes on the clock, on the on the clock, that was yeah you know, a little bit more of a <laughs> Uh, you, you, it, it was lot, sometimes in these kind of games, it's like if the atmosphere is like a big balloon full of air, sometimes that kind of start could be like just putting a, a pinprick in it, and you could almost feel, yeah, you know, like it was like felt like a, a blow to the solar plexus for every puddling in the ground. And I think at that stage, probably the message from Klopp to his players, and certainly what I was thinking was, well, you know, don't let this get any worse. You know, if it goes to 3 0, then it really is over. Um, and having watched the game back, although not not for a while, from what, from what I can remember as well, Liverpool didn't massively threaten in the first half, but at the same time they, they did show that they could get in behind Dortmund and they, and they just couldn't seem to get the final ball right. They, they put a couple of good balls into the box and you just felt that they needed a break and they hadn't had it yet. Um, but while well, obviously you're always desperate to get a goal back as quick as you can, going in at half-time, obviously it was, it was distressing to be 2-0 down and very, very much a mountain to climb. But there was at least bearing in mind how, how quickly those two Dortmund goals had come. At least a certain relief, I suppose, that it hadn't actually got any worse. Because at three or four, with and with Dortmund's you know very potent front line, as you mentioned before, that was that was always a possibility. It could have been a lot worse than it was, and that really would have been game over.
1: And I suppose the threatening thing with this Dortmund side would be conceding more goals and and leaving yourself open to the counter attack. But they did have chances to to make it three as Dan alluded to them saying that that would have been the worst possible thing already mentioned Simon Mignolet but there was a, the, an opportunity at the cop end where I think it was Lucas Pichet came down the right hand side went to square it for a sliding in at the far post and but for a hand from Simon Minule that diverted the ball behind a that would have been certainly three no one most probably game over and we wouldn't be here doing this podcast
2: no, it was a huge moment and obviously I made a, a little bit of a joke before about the, the backline not being, you know, as good as you would have wanted it to be, but that was a, a huge moment for, for Simon Mignolet, as you say, to get that little touch on it was was the difference really between Liverpool going through and going out because, as Dan says it, you know, as much as Liverpool have got a lot of history and even could have come back from 3-0 down, you suspect that that might have been game over and uh, obviously with the, the three away goals, Liverpool would have then had to have scored four, so... Um, four on the bounce would have been very difficult There's, there was loads of moments though in in that game I mean when Marco Royce makes it 3-1 I remember thinking right okay it wasn't over at, at 2-0 but it is now but then it wasn't so who knows what could have happened you, you just never know with Liverpool but yeah I think for me at 3-1 I, I did think it was over it was only you know, when, when Liverpool got that one to bring it back and, and suddenly they started penning in team uh, the Dortmund team, which you know, at at the time it was very much every Liverpool game was end to end, uncontrolled. But that last ten minutes or so, Liverpool did manage to, to put a sustained period of pressure together and and did finally manage to stop Obamian getting those chances, which I think was the, the crucial thing really in getting through and, and pulling that game back.
0: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo
2: So much is said, Dan, even about 2005,
1: Istanbul uh, at time. what what happened in the the dressing room? What did Rafa say? What was going on with Stephen and Jimmy Traore? Who was coming on? Who was going off? Figures on the the board and everything like that. But I suppose this halftime team talk for Jurgen Klopp was a big moment going in at, at what, 2-0 down. And Liverpool did come roaring out right at the start from the second half. And that man, Divock Origi, who had become so big and come up with important goals for Liverpool perhaps kick that whole trend off with a very important one to to get liverpool scoring on this night.
0: Well, yeah, I mean it 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 was a crucial um team talk for the manager at half time because <clears throat> obviously liverpool being two 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 nil down uh, full house at anfield, you know, probably one of the probably the most match most watched match around europe that night. And I always remember Jamie Carragher saying about Istanbul at half-time and at 3-0 he was thinking, he wasn't even thinking of a comeback. He was he was thinking, let's not get humiliated here on a global stage. We did actually have a piece on the site this morning from um, from, from Joe Rimmer alluding to, to, to what, what Klopp said to his players at half-time, which very much came to pass. What he said was, create a moment to tell your grandchildren and make it a special night for the fans. And I think like... In Istanbul, and, and and to be fair, like in a, I think a lot of Liverpool's great comebacks, I wouldn't say we always expect it, but I think Liverpool supporters always know that it's never over until it's over, and how quickly things can change, particularly at Anfield, where, and I think Thomas Tuchel almost alluded to this after the match, where it's it's almost supernatural, you know, the the the, the, the things that take place. Um, from my own point of view, half half time was quite significant for me because. Um, my season ticket for many years has been in the the upper Camden Road on the side, but for and in all honesty, to be honest, Europa League games I I tended not to bother with because I would play football on a Thursday, but um, wanted there was no way I was going to miss Liverpool Man United, and obviously Liverpool Dortmund had a certain appeal to it as well. So so I managed to get myself a ticket, but me and a, a friend were right on the far right at the back and right on the far corner, not the greatest view in the world at all. Now another friend of mine. I think his season ticket or the tickets he had were like row four of the cop, But because of the, the way European games are structured and, and with the advertising hoardings, they leave a few rows spare so that the advertising pops a bit more. That became the front row. And it actually, t- for, the, for the United game, he said, well, oh, there's a spare spec next to us if you want to pop down. So we did that for the United game at halftime and had a, a ringside view of, of Roberto Firmino's second goal at that end that made it 2-0, which was a big moment. So the same thing happened at Dortmund. He said, "Look, there's space here if you fancy it." So I thought, "Well, Liverpool attacking the cock second half, worth a punt, isn't it?" Um, and literally within the first three or four minutes, uh, Emery Chan played like, this little series of one twos from the centre circle. Popped this lovely slide through a ball through to a who who ran through and, and and slotted very very efficiently. Seeming like right in, it, it's like having a ringside seat at the at the theatre. Um, and that really just got everyone going, and you thought, right, let's get the suck sucking the goals in. Dortmund are going to really find out what I, Dortmund are going to really find out what Anfield is all about now. But as Matt said, um, it was barely ten minutes later. Just checked, fifty-seven minutes when a slick move down the Dortmund left, and and Marco Reuser, who was, well, if we had if we had a pound every time he would link, he was linked with Liverpool, we'd all be millionaires, wouldn't we? Um, he slotted very. He slotted home with with great composure at the Anfield Road end, and I think, like Matt, I think most fans, I certainly have thought, it's just going to be a bridge too far, isn't it? You, know, you, you kind of thought, well, we, I wouldn't, I wouldn't back against us getting another goal back because Liverpool was starting to kind of expose cracks in the Dortmund defence, but they looked to have such a potent attacking threat themselves. It was just the case of can we keep them out again? Can we stop them getting a fourth? And, and at that particular stage, I didn't really have any particular confidence that we could or would. So it was it was a pretty bleak bleak moment when he made it three one, but um as we'll get on to, I'm sure, it ain't over until it's over.
1: No, definitely not with Liverpool at Anfield and just even looking at Liverpool's recent European history up until this point, obviously Istanbul two thousand and five, two thousand and seven also reached a Champions League final, got to the semis in two thousand and eight, and bar the Europa League semi final in twenty ten against Atletico Madrid which of course was in this same competition. It had been eight years since, obviously, Liverpool had even got to a quarter-final stage, as I say, with the Atletico game. It had been six years since Liverpool had got to a quarter-final stage in European competition. So this was certainly new territory for for a lot of these players, Matt, and finding themselves 3-1 down with half an hour left to play, it was going to take an almighty ask.
2: Yeah, I think it's a, a testament to the belief that Jurgen Klopp had managed to put in them in that short space of time that he'd been at the club. And, and as you say, they they wouldn't have had experience of, of that level. And, you know, you almost look back at these European nights and think, well, it was only in the Europa League, so why why do we talk about it with such passion and, and such sort of fond memories of it? But that's exactly why, as, as we said before, it's it was a stepping stone. It was... You know, it it was a Champions League team that that Liverpool were coming up against. Let's, you know, let's not mess about there. You know, Dortmund have got some absolutely world-class players at at that moment in time. And, you know, for for Liverpool to to play a team like that, it's always going to be a big occasion. So, on on certain occasions, we do talk about the Europa League and slightly, well, rightly in slightly lesser circumstances than the Champions League. And obviously, Liverpool have gone on to have so many big Champions League nights Mm -hmm. since then. But... Yeah, at, at this moment in time, it, it was just big for Liverpool to be involved in a big game like this and, and for them to pull off what they then did. I think as much as Jurgen Klopp had instilled a lot of confidence in them up to that point, this just then allowed them to go on to the next level and, and produce, you know, obviously the rest of the run that season, but then in the seasons to follow as well to get themselves back into the Champions League, this was almost a, a reminder or a first sort of experience for some of those players of you know this is what European Knights at Anfield are all about and let's try and make make a few more of these
1: yeah obviously on on the point that Matt raises there Dan that obviously Benitez's final season had, had been that semi-final with Atletico Hodgson had fallen at the round of 16 in the Europa League Brendan Rodgers hadn't had a great time in, in Europe, obviously, with the Reds either. Jurgen Klopp comes in, and all of a sudden now, this run they go to the final. Two years later, they get to a Champions League final, and the following season, win it. It just shows, I suppose, the significance this perhaps this game, this run, may well have had even on the Liverpool we see now in Europe. Absolutely.
0: I mean, it's, you know, Matt's right to say that, you know, the. Um, we all go on about the Anfield, the, the the glorious Anfield European nights, and that there's there's so many of them. But but the reality is, until this this run in the in the in the spring of 2016, it was really probably you know, the the Champions League run to the quarterfinals in 2009 that the last time Liverpool had really performed at this level. And it was almost kind of like a reminder of giving you know the supporters and the, and the club itself a reminder of our identity as as a, as a European powerhouse. Um, yeah, well, I always think it's a bit of a shame the way that we kind of look down on nose a little bit at the, at the Europa League. As or to be honest, as I was, all, I will always think of that as the UEFA the Cup. It's inevitable, I suppose, because of the obviously the the, the, the prestige and the and the cachet of the Champions League. And I do think that you know the the group stage just hasn't helped the Europa. I think you can get away with it a bit more in the Champions League with the elite teams, but. It, it doesn't quite work as well in that secondary tournament. I think what, what what was particularly significant about this room was because of the teams Liverpool played, because it was Manchester United in the last sixteen who we'd never played in Europe, because it was Dortmund um, in the quarter final, obviously with the clock connection and everything else there. And I think it, it, absolutely you, you can look back at it now and the seeds. I think it's the seeds, particularly of Barcelona. Which you know I think will be talked of as one of Liverpool's greatest ever nights as long as football is played, arguably the, the seeds for that night were sown against Dortmund with that realization that the team, the players, the manager, you know, Shankly's fabled holy Trinity that he always talked about, when they are in conjunction, they can be you know, an unstoppable force, and, and you know it, it's, you always got the impression that was one of the things that attracted Klopp to Liverpool in the first place. And I guess the, you know, they, these these few games were really his first experience of that and it, and it set the tone.
1: Yeah, and at 3-1 down, then half an hour left to play well. It had ticked down even to the 66th minute. Liverpool really not looking as though they were perhaps going to be able to make it through to the, uh, the last four. And then up pops that man who, Dan's mentioned, Barcelona. He was there at Anfield on the night against Barcelona, but he was on the wrong team. Felipe Coutinho, though, coming up with... Well, perhaps one of his trademark strikes, edge of the box and stroking it, whipping it into that bottom corner.
2: Yeah, um, not quite one of his best ever goals, but certainly one of his most important. And yeah, it's almost ironic, isn't it, that we talk about the seeds of that Barcelona night being sown by him and then he switches sides and is on the receiving end of it. So, yeah, so many different sort of storylines and, you know, James Milner provided the assist, I think, obviously, Got the, the late assist as well, and and he's proven to be instrumental later on in European nights under Jurgen Klopp as well. So, I think whichever way you you look at it, and whichever goal you pick out, or whichever moment you pick out, there's the sort of strands that that lead you to other significant moments in in Liverpool's history under Jurgen Klopp, and and the things that have happened since then. But yeah, Coutinho played a, a central role in that. And, as look at every podcast we do at the moment. We seem to to come back to him at some point, and you know may, maybe that's right. Maybe maybe we should just recognise the fact that okay, we we don't think he's going to come back. And as much as a few of us, myself included, would would quite enjoy the prospect of Liverpool re-signing Coutinho this summer, it's probably not going to happen. But it does just go to show how much of a, an impact he did have under Jurgen Klopp as well, because you know he was a, a fantastic player, and it, it's obviously gone very wrong for him since. But moments like this just go to show his quality really
1: yeah and games like this as well we can link in so many different ways the Klopp connection the significance of it leading on to as we've already said Barcelona but even within the game itself the game starts with a bit of ropey defending from Liverpool conceding twice in the first nine minutes of the game yet twice in the last 13 minutes of the match Dan the two centre halves and the men who get the job done in the end
0: well, two very much maligned figures, Mamadou Sakho and Dejan Lovren, who um, you know I think have probably been a, amongst the, the most divisive players of uh, you know certainly of, of modern Liverpool history. And obviously, with with the the rise of Virgil Van Dijk and Joe Gomez since, I don't think anyone could in in, in any great credibility say that Liverpool haven't massively upgraded. But the t- but but the two of them uh, that night really did come to the fore. And one thing that very much sticks in my mind particularly with Sacco, obviously Lovren is still at the club, um, is a European Cup winner, uh, was man of the match in Kiev for my money and he was going to have you know, a respectable Liverpool career. Obviously, it all went very wrong uh, for Sacco. Literally within weeks, I think I'm right in saying six days later, uh, Sacco scored against Everton at the Kop end uh, when Liverpool won 4 nil. And then three days later, just in the, in the build-up to a home match against Newcastle, the, the news broke. That he had supposedly failed a drugs test, and that basically was the end. Yeah, well, certainly it was the end of his his, his uh, Liverpool season, and it proved ultimately to the end of uh, end of his Liverpool career. Obviously, there was more to it than that. He had a falling out with Jurgen Klopp on the following season's pre season tour. But one, I always think back to an, to an interview that the they gave on. I mean, I was at the match, but I recorded it and watched afterwards. That the, the, the I think, I'm pretty sure it was it was. Possibly L- Sako Lovren and possibly Origi, who gave you know an on the pitch interview in the tumult of you know five minutes after the whistle when the emotions are still running high. And maybe I'm I'm a bit I'm a, I'm a bit sentimental for this kind of angle, but I remember Sacco saying something like you know this this was a victory for the Liverpool nation, and that always kind of really struck a chord with me. And even if you know as I say we we can't say we miss him now Liverpool have certainly upgraded. He he wrote his own little chapter in Liverpool's history that night, Sacco, al- along with Lovren. Um, you know, just to go back to, to the second goal, Matt said it wasn't one of Coutinho's best goals. Well, I mean that, that probably says a lot about this, the standard of the goals he scored, but it certainly was no scruffy tapping either. In many ways, it was kind of like a bit of a trademark Coutinho strike with half a shooting chance on the edge of the box, and he's he's used the defender as a shield, and that kind of trademark whip curled into the bottom corner, and that just kind of just let it lit a little a little fuse under it again and put it back in the balance. And then about twelve, thirteen minutes to go a corner kick from the from the, the left hand side kind of bobbled across a bit and Sako watched it perfectly onto his head and nodded in from close range to make it three three with more than ten minutes left. And at this point we thought, well come on, one more goal Dortmund looked like they're flagging here. But it seemed like it wasn't gonna it seemed like it wasn't gonna be it wasn't gonna come and then um you know, as the game ticked into stoppage time, Liverpool got a free kick. It was played short down the right-hand side. Um, nice interchange between Milner and, and Sturridge. And, and one of the ironies about this, and one thing I do remember, is that you know James Milner is a great player. I, w- I wouldn't have said his set piece delivery is the kind of like the the best part of his game. But one thing that I do remember about this game is that his corners were by and large terrible. And the longer the game went on, he kept hitting the first defender, and people were getting on his back a little bit. So there was an irony that when it really, really mattered, when he had to put a quality ball in, he did from the right-hand side. And it, it was just hung up beautifully to the back post. And Dejan Lovren, who not too far away from the same spot where earlier in the se- very much earlier in the season against West Ham, one of Rodgers' last games when he had a bit of a meltdown, really. And Liverpool lost 3-0 that day and, and Lovren, had, Lovren really struggled. At the same end, he should power ahead into the back of the net to send Anfield absolutely potty and then legged it right across the pitch and, and did a kind of flying jump in pretty much the same spot where he was dispossessed against West Ham and it was just one of those kind of like full circle moments that our football club somehow seems to drag up time after time. To be honest, you know, the, the memories of that night are very much seared in my mind because of the overall context, because it felt that you know tensions were very, very high for a lot of reasons and it almost felt like we need we needed a sign that things were going to be okay. And so for the game to pan out the way it did, such a topsy-turvy seesaw match, and then to be won in such dramatic fashion um, by someone like Lovren, this kind of flawed hero at the end, um, and with me luckily having this kind of front row spec right at the front of the cop, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, never, never, I'll never forget it, it's right at the top of my list.
1: And Matt, we started right at the top saying it and you yourself as well through the course of the chat have said about how obviously it's the Europa League, it's perhaps not looked on as as fondly as the Champions League but that goal goes in that moment, just sum up your feelings at the time and obviously the significance on Dayan Lovren's Liverpool career and even sort of what's come to pass since.
2: Yeah, it was uh, a huge, huge moment for for him individually, but for Liverpool as a team, as as I said before, the the confidence and the sort of you know the, the ability just to keep going and going and going was something that maybe Liverpool hadn't have wouldn't have done you know a few months prior to that. So for for Jurgen Klopp to have come in and instilled that as quickly as he did was you know a testament to to the management and the coaching ability that he's got, and you know for. For me, I, I remember thinking actually because it, it was a it was a late goal, but it, there was still three minutes to go in that game, mm-hmm. so you were celebrating, but you were still you were still a little bit nervous. And I think off the top of my head, I think it was Adam Lallana gave away a free kick in a dangerous area, which Ilkay Gundogan, of course, now at Manchester City, hit the, the roof of the net with. And for me, that was a moment which, as much as the Laughter goal was brilliant, that moment when I realised that it hadn't gone in the net and it had gone just on top of the net, was just as good as the Lover and goal, to be honest, because that was the the moment then when the final whistle went and, and you could just breathe after, you know, seven goals on the night. Obviously, with the, the vast majority coming in that second half, it was just, it was breathless. It was end-to-end and I'm sure if you were a neutral then, it was probably entertaining, but for, for everyone directly involved, it was absolutely terrifying.
1: Yeah, seven-goal thriller, the term that only really applies to a game that finishes 4-3. And what a thriller it was at Anfield on a European night for the first time under Jurgen Klopp. Of course, wouldn't be the last time the Reds hit four in a knockout game at Anfield under Klopp. Well, guys, thanks a lot for, uh, for joining me and looking back on that game. Mad to think that it was already four years ago to this day. Until next time, though, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now.